All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the last chapter of the book of Romans today. Romans chapter number 16, please. We've, we started this, I, I checked yesterday, and we started studying the book of Romans April 24th last year. So we've gone verse by verse, and we've covered every word in the book of Romans, and it was, uh, it's been just a great time. And of course, we did that in two different series. The first one was Good News for a Broken World, and we saw that the message in the book of Romans is all about the gospel of Jesus, that his death, his burial, his resurrection, the good news announcement that he can make all the wrongs in this world right and give us eternal life. That was the message of the first section. And then we've been seeing how that works out in our lives in these last chapters. We started in chapter 12, and now we come all the way through chapter 16, and we're learning here that we are renewed by this gospel, that the, the good news of Jesus isn't just for eternity. It's not just to give us a permanent home in heaven, although that is more than sufficient, more than wonderful, but he gives us a renewed quality of life today and a new way of living and a new perspective. And our theme verse has been Romans 12 and verse number 2. So Romans 12, 2, once more together, let's read this out loud, good and strong, if you will, begin. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's been the theme, that we are renewed by the power of God, by the power of the gospel. Well, what I want you to see in the last uh, 10 verses or 11 verses is this, and this is the introductory statement. Of course, the title today is Forever for His Glory. Forever for His Glory. And understand this, that that statement right there is the future of every believer in Jesus Christ. We have a certain forever, and that forever is for the glory of God. And Paul finishes this beautiful book with that reminder. So we live in the today. We live in the difficulties, the trials, and the temptations of today. And you know, the difficulties and trials, they face, they, they take all different shapes, right? Some of you might be going through some, uh, just something really difficult right now. We've been, we've been putting out that uh, prayer post on Facebook into the community and offering to pray for people. And we've had over 30 people request prayer. And some of the needs that people are presenting to us are heavy, heavy needs. Things like cancer and things like other health problems and the loss of loved ones. And, and sometimes the difficulties of life take that kind of shape. Sometimes they take the shape of temptation or addiction or something that you just struggle with. And then sometimes, sometimes the struggles of life are just our own selves, our own emotions. And uh, we look outside and we say, oh, it's gray again, like it was yesterday. When somebody said today to me, I wish we'd see the sunshine, sunshine out there. I said, well, looks like it's going to be a few days for that. Winter can be long in, uh, in New England, can it be? And how many of you sometimes it's just like, just regular life just seems a little bit. Maybe you didn't come in today with anything real heavy or, or a super burden. Maybe you did. But maybe you just came in and you're a little bit weary. A little bit, a little bit tired, a little bit worn out. Those are the kinds of things that we deal with in the here and now. We sang that song, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. And aren't you glad whether it's the big things in life or the little things in life, you can take it to the Lord in prayer. But if you, if you, if you, we haven't sung that song on a Sunday morning in quite a long time. And if you have time, look that song up again. It's a beautiful hymn. And that last stanza that we sang, it said this, it said, in, in its poetic language, it talks about that hour of prayer and being on the top of the mountain, which symbolized for the author, oh, there it is, till, thanks, till from Mount Pisgah's lofty height, I view my home and take my flight. Aren't you glad we were created for an eternal home? That's what the songwriter is saying. Go ahead, go ahead back to it, Sam. He says, I view my home and take my flight. Now look at this, this robe of flesh, the next line, I'll drop and rise 
to seize the everlasting prize. And now the last line, and shout while passing through the air. What's he say? Farewell. Isn't that beautiful poetry? What's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to a place, I'm going to a place where I won't need prayer any longer because I will be face to face with my Lord. Now, that can be kind of hard for us to imagine as we face the regular things that we just described in our lives. But this passage of Scripture reminds us that the truth of the gospel is our strength to persevere. And it reminds us that our ultimate victory is secured by Christ forever for the glory of the Father. Let me show you three things that the Lord teaches us in this passage that have to do with the fact that we are secure, we are fixed forever for the glory of God. Beginning in verse number 17, I want to read verses 17 through 20 uh, to start. The scriptures say this, Now I beseech you, brethren. Now that word beseech, of course, is a, he's imploring, he's begging, he's pleading. He's saying one more time, if you haven't, if you haven't tuned out to the letter yet, we've gone, we're 16 chapters in. I've got one more thing I earnestly and fervently want you to listen to. I want you to hear. I beseech you, brethren. That's a serious topic. He says this, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they are such for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Verse 19, for your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good. Think about this verse. I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And God's people said, Amen. You'll notice there's three Amen sections here. At the end of verse number 20, where it says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Skip down to verse number 24 after he gives another statement. Verse number 24 says, read it with me out loud, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then the beautiful conclusion, a little bit different, but verse number 27 says, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Amen. So there's three sections here, all leading up to this idea that we are forever secure, forever triumphant in the Lord. Number one, in verses 17 through 20, I want you to see this, that Jesus, he anchors us to the truth. Could you say that with me this morning? He what? He anchors us to the truth. This is a world that is anything but fixed. Have you noticed that? That the world is changing at a pace that you probably could not have imagined when you were growing up. If you're, if you're younger than 20 years old, the world is, I'm sorry, if you're older than 20 years old, the world has changed dramatically in the last few years. Would you not agree with me? And some people may say that's for good. Some people may say that's not for good. I think there is always good change and then there's always unhealthy change. But the fact is this, in a world that is unstable, in a world that one day says this is wrong, oh, but now this is right, in a world that says, well, uh, you can have this perspective, oh, no, but a couple of years later, that is completely wrong. In a world that is just flooded with uncertainty, we have a Savior who gives us a solid rock, a sure foundation. And what has been happening all over this nation, really since the COVID pandemic, you will find that wherever you go, and whenever I talk to pastors and hear reports from churches in different parts of the country, I always hear the same thing. And that is that they have encountered people who came to know Christ through all of the uncertainty of the last few years. You know why? It's because Jesus provides what the world cannot provide. And that is a certainty in uncertain times. 
And he gives us an anchor. And we're anchored, though, not to a feeling. And this is really important. People are looking for a religious experience. People are looking for a spiritual experience. And aren't you glad that it feels good to worship the Lord? I am. I mean, he's created us with emotions. But that the emotional feeling or the quote-unquote spiritual experience that we feel is not the anchor for our souls. What is the anchor for our souls is the truth of the Word of God. It's the truth of the Word of God. And Paul begins with this last beseech. This, this last beseech, go, go back to verse 17 now, and he gives us an important warning. And you'll see under this point, on the back of your handout, we're on this first point, he anchors us to the truth. Paul emphasizes the importance of biblical authority versus manipulative teaching. Are you with me? So he says there's a distinction between biblical authority, basing our lives on the word of God, and other kind of spiritual teaching which is designed to manipulate us. That's something that every Christian ought to be thankful for, that God has given us a sure standard by which to judge all of our spiritual experiences. People come up to me all the time, and they'll say, well, I shouldn't say all the time, but it's happened frequently enough in my life. People have come up to me at numerous occasions, and they've said something, they've said something like this, well, I saw a vision, or I had a near-death experience, or I, I felt this. What do you think it was? And I'm like, you expect me to know, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know, but I do know this. Any experience you've had, if it is of God, it will line up with the teaching of God's word. And I'm not saying that your experience was illegitimate. I'm not saying you didn't see what you saw or feel what you felt. I'm saying this, whatever your spiritual condition is, get to the scriptures, get to the word. And we as a church have never made any apology for being a Bible-based church. Because if we don't have the word of God, what do we have? And there are whole Christian denominations who have who have gone away from the plain teaching of Scripture. And I respectfully say, as, as they gather in their sanctuaries, if we don't have the authority of the Word of God, what is the point? There is none. The Scripture. So what does Paul say in verse 17? Mark them which cause divisions and offenses. Now, is this just like difficult people? Is that what it's talking about? No. Those, those who cause divisions and offenses that are contrary to the teaching. That's what doctrine means. If you, you want to uh, identify what these words mean, the word doctrine means teaching. He says there are people, and isn't it interesting, this is within the first 50 years of the church being established that this is written. Within the very first years, of the church being established, Paul says there are people who will teach things that divide from the pure teaching of the word of God. Mark them and what? Avoid them. Avoid that. And so it would do all of us well as Christians to remember we're anchored to the truth. So if you're on Facebook and you're watching a spiritual teacher, or if you visit a church if you come to this church and you listen to me or someone else speak here, everything that we say, make sure it lines up with the word of God. Not every Christian teacher on the radio or on the internet or on a podcast is following God's word. And so it's important to have that discernment. He says, you've learned the doctrine. Now, the doctrine that Paul taught, we are blessed to have it recorded in our New Testaments. And so he says this, but there are people. Now look at how he describes those who teach doctrine that leads away from the word. Verse 18. Those people, they that are such, they, they're not serving who? They're not serving, they're not serving Jesus. Who are they serving? Themselves. 
the belly. It's, it's, ancient, it's an ancient concept for their own appetites, their own desires. Can you believe that there would be people who would teach spiritual-sounding things, not for the benefit of the hearer, but for their own benefit? In fact, Paul said to Timothy that in the last days that some would depart from the faith, giving ear to seducing spirits. He also said that they won't endure sound teaching, but they're going to heap to themselves teachers with itching ears. So this topic is an important topic. We must be anchored to the truth. And there are people that speak in the name of Christianity and their primary concern is developing a following or selling a book or accumulating wealth to themselves or uh, becoming popular. Nothing inherently wrong in any one of those things, except for using people, obviously, to get wealth. Nothing inherently wrong in popularity or following or anything like that, so long as those are not the motivations. But it's far easier to get a following if you are willing to tell people what they want to hear, right? It's true. There's a reason that motivational speakers don't remind you very often of your sinfulness. There's a reason that motivational speakers tell you that you can find all the power within you. But the message of the Bible is completely foreign to that. It's that we are fundamentally broken by sin, and it is only, only the grace of Jesus that can transform us from the inside out. But that's not as popular of a message because it first begins with the necessity of repentance. That I can't find the good within me. The good is above me. And I have to submit myself to Christ, and then his power flows through me. So you should, be, you should be careful of those who are teaching. And, and sometimes people use scripture, but, they're not, but it doesn't line up. That's why the best thing that you can look for and what we strive for is verse-by-verse verse teaching. Look at a passage. What is the passage actually teaching? Not just a phrase or a word or a concept, but what is the actual intent of the scriptures? So we prioritize verse by verse, careful exposition of the word of God. So he says that they'll be persuasive with good words and fair speeches. They will deceive the hearts of the simple. But now verse number 19. Paul is saying this, though, that that is not what is happening among the Roman Christians. Watch out for those people that would come in because that is not your condition. Verse 19, in contrast to that, your obedience is come abroad unto all men. What he means by that is this. Everywhere Paul has been preaching, all over the known world of that day, everywhere Paul has been, who have they heard of? The Romans. And what have they heard about the Romans? They've heard that they continue in the word of God, that they're faithful to the Lord. That, they're, that they've been obedient to the teachings of God's word. And so what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, you have got something good. Would you agree with that? that? You've got something pure. You've got something holy. Watch out for anyone that would try to corrupt that. And I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. And then he says this. He says, I want you to have a purity of mind. What's he say? He says, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Have you heard the phrase, um, uh, he or she, this is a little bit, maybe a little bit outdated uh, phrase, but uh, boy, that's a real man of the world. Or uh, th in, in the idea there is it somebody that somebody that is just well acquainted with how things work and with what's going on here, and they know, uh, they know the latest in, uh, maybe in sports and in entertainment and in fashion, or they know the latest in cultural things that are happening. And there's, again, there's nothing necessarily wrong in any of that. But the, the, the essence of the scripture is this. 
as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we ought to be experts in those things that are perfect. And if people laugh at us a little bit for being out of touch with worldly things, that's okay. It's okay. I'm not advocating a complete cultural retreat where we have nothing to do. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. We understand that. But at the same time, there's a lot of evil in the world. And there's a lot of things that do not please the Lord Jesus. And for me to have a pure mind, for you to have a pure mind, we have to determine that what we are going to devote our energies to, what we are going to devote our imaginations to and our thoughts to, is that which pleases God. And if I'm a little out of touch, if I'm a little simple concerning some of the evil in the world, it's okay. That's okay. I would have you wise into that which is good and simple concerning evil. It would be good for, for we as Christians to not know all of the things that lurk in the dark places of the internet. It would be good for us as Christians to not know all of the content in the R-rated and mature-rated programming of our day. It would be good for us to be simple about those things, don't you think? It would. But to really know that which is good, to know what God is doing, not just in his church here locally, but what, his, what he's doing in his church around the world, to be, be wise about what's going on in, in missions and be wise about all these things that are about the cause of Christ. Be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And then, this whole idea of being anchored to the truth, it ends very triumphantly. Verse number 20 is an, an awesome verse. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Does that sound cool or what? I mean, maybe you're not. I mean, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Now, this is, the, this is a militaristic verse or statement. Isn't it interesting here that, he's, that God is referred to as the God of what? But then what is he doing? Yeah, he's bruising or he's crushing. He's defeating because ultimate peace only comes through strength over the enemy. You see, sin and Satan are the great enemy of the saints, are the great enemy of God. And this has been the battle of the ages. If you want to know, if you'd say, why? And people ask this question to Christians all the time. Well, if there's a God in heaven then why, then why is there pain and suffering and difficulty in the world? Because not only is there a God in heaven, but there is an enemy that walks among this earth as well. And there is sin that is present with us. Now, why God allowed that and the mystery of that, we, I don't completely know other than it has something to do with our free will that God desired uh, individuals who would choose him freely and not be forced. And, and that, that's the best explanation I've, I've come to. But the fact is this, yes, there is a God of love and justice and righteousness, but there is an enemy. There is opposition and there is sin in this world. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. This is why we need the gospel. Because at the very beginning, humans... The man Adam and his wife Eve, they disobeyed God. And because of that disobedience, sin came into the world. And death by sin, because we've all sinned. And so we're under this curse of sin. And every, every disease that we suffer is because of the curse of sin. Now, now, please don't misunderstand me. The disease does not come from the fact that you've done something wrong, so now you, you have to suffer with this disease. No, no. It's a principle. Sin, is, sin has corrupted the human race. Sin has corrupted the world. And now we suffer the consequences of sin. So every disease, every crime, every death, all of it is not the way God originally intended it. We're under the curse of sin. But when this curse was first announced, there was a promise that was made. Now, for those of you who are Bible students, you know that the curse was pronounced on humanity in Genesis chapter number 3. 
In Genesis 3, God said to Adam that because he, uh, don't go there yet, you're getting ahead of me, but you're, you're on target. I love it. Love it. He told Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate of the fruit, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow and, and difficulty and hardship will come. He told Eve that because of your sin, the, uh, the uh, childbirth will be difficult and your desire will be to your husband. And then he told the serpent, the devil had embodied that serpent. He told the serpent, because of your deception, you are cursed above all beasts and you will crawl on your belly. Of course, the, the serpent it's, is Satan and dwelt the serpent, and that's, that's the point of it. And so now there's a curse on humanity. Bad way to end the story, right? But it's actually just the beginning. Because in, um, in that curse, God finishes the curse with a promise. Now he's ready to go. Oh, he was. Uh, <laughs> and that promise is Genesis Chapter number 3 and verse 14. And you've got it on your handout as well. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now look at verse 15. Verse 15 is the first time the gospel is ever mentioned. You don't see the name of Jesus. You don't see uh, the cross. You don't see the resurrection, but you see the triumph of the cross. You see the virgin birth. You say, what do you mean? Read it. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee. That's the, the serpent, the devil. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Now, biologically, the seed, does the seed typically come from the man or the woman? Biologically, it comes from the man. So who is the seed of the woman? It's Jesus, the virgin born. Born of a virgin is Jesus, the seed of the woman. And there's enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman, Jesus. And it says that it, that's the seed of the woman, foreshadowing Jesus, shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So you imagine the picture of the snake reaching up and latching onto the heel of the man, and then the man takes that foot, he takes that heel, and what does he do? He crushes and bruises the head of the serpent. That's the picture of, in the book of Genesis, of the triumph of Jesus Christ over Satan. And back in Romans, what is Paul saying? Back now to our text in Romans chapter 16 and verse number 20, what is he saying? He's saying that you and I share because we now are in Christ. Christ is the seed of the woman. You and I, through faith, are now in Christ. And as we are in Christ, we join in the triumph over Satan. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So you say, so what does this mean? What does this mean? Hey, do you ever feel, do you ever feel when temptation comes like you're a big loser? Do you ever feel like, man, here I am struggling with this again. Here I am depressed again. Here I am and failing again. Do you ever feel that way? Well, what Paul says this is he says, just persevere a little longer. Stay in the battle a little bit longer because soon and very soon that you will join and, and that serpent will be crushed under your feet. Not just, not just the, the feet of Jesus, but the feet of the saints. We will have ultimate victory over the tempter. Another great old, old hymn, I was thinking of Sweet Hour of Prayer, but this one is uh, I think it's, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And the song ends with this line, the tempter will be banished, will lay our burdens down when we see Christ. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. And he says this, he says, you're going to be ultimately victorious. So for now, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But I don't feel victorious. That's what grace is for. 
the power of God to remind you that he has given you the victory. But who, who are those who receive this victory? Only those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Has there been a time in your life where you have personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's the most important question. Because all of this applies to those who are in Christ. We are anchored to the truth of God's word. We are ultimately victorious. Number one, Jesus anchors us to the truth. Verses 21 now through 23. Verses 21 through 23. There's more names. You remember last week we preached through all the names? Here's another list of names. So in, in last week, Paul said, oh, hey, say hi to all my friends in, uh, in Rome. But now he's like, oh, and there's some friends here in uh, Centria. They want to say hi to you. They want to greet you as well. And he says, Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, in other words, that would be like the secretary who Paul dictated the letter to. So he physically wrote the letter. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. On this journey to forever for his glory, number one, he anchors us to the truth, but number two, he binds us together. Could you say that one with me? He binds us together. Everywhere you see Paul, you see him, you see him speaking of people, people either that he missed or people that were with him, people that he loved, because Jesus did not call us to live the Christian life on our own. He didn't call us to do war against Satan on our own. He called us to come together. And here is Paul again with a list of those people that are surrounding him. And men and women, friends, uh, fellow believers with me today, you and I are called, like Paul and his companions, to be bound together in the faith, to be bound together by the truth in the love of the Lord Jesus. You'll see a couple of uh, three different themes here and how, how they relate to each other. You'll see, first of all, that they are bound together as fellow workers. Verse 21, Timotheus, my work fellow. And Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. This is the idea of people that were not just there for Paul uh, in the good times. They were not just there for Paul to listen to him, but they were there to help. They were there to share in the work. They were there to lighten the load. If you'll forgive me, they were the kind of believers that said, sign me up for a team. Give me another box I can check off because there's a work to be done. Take some time in your devotions to read the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It's a wonderful Old Testament story about Nehemiah gathering the people of God. And I think the line in there is that he's got a great work to do for God. They're not going to come down from the wall because there's a great work to do for God. Listen, it may seem insignificant to you, but simply, but, 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 but simply being involved in even a basic level of, of ministry, whether it be cleaning or uh, shoveling a sidewalk or anything, even that is being part of a great work for God. Because it takes all of us to come together to advance the cause of the gospel. And a lot of things had to be done on Paul's journey. And he binds us together in the church as fellow workers. But not only as fellow workers, but as friends. But as friends. You saw those names. You see also verse 22, Tertius, who wrote the epistle. Now look at verse 23. This, this man knew what it was to be a friend. Gaius, mine what? Do you see what it says? Gaius, mine what? My host. What does that mean? Paul lived with him. That this man opened his home and said, Paul, you can live here 
with me. Opened his home to let him live there. But wait a minute, read on. Do you notice that he did a little bit more than that? He wasn't just hosting Paul. Who else was he hosting? The whole church. Now, does that mean that the whole church lived in his house? I don't think so. I think the idea is that Paul lived there with him, but the church needed a place to gather. The church needed a place to to host their fellowship, to open the word together, to pray together. And, And Gaius, he had a big enough home. And he opened that home for the gospel. I, a friend of ours uh, in the church, we were one of the guys we were talking the other day, and a few months ago, um, he needed to uh, borrow a truck to pick something up, and he asked me if he could borrow my truck. And I said, well, and I, and I learned this from somebody else, and I liked what they said. I said, yeah, it's not my truck, it's the Lord's truck. It's the Lord's truck. Now you're all going to have something to move, I know. You know, you give a list and you're like, well, you said it's the Lord's truck. Um, there's some other guys with trucks too, just for the record. Anyway, I said, well, it's the Lord's truck. And then he said to me the other day, we were doing some projects, and he's like, you know, I remember what you said about that truck. And he said, you know what, I've got several tools for different projects. We were doing work at the church, and he's like, you know, if you ever hear anybody that needs this, if you ever need anybody that needs this tool or whatever it was, I won't get into the specifics, because if you ever hear of anybody that needs that, let them know that I've got it. Why? Because that's, that's practicing hospitality like Gaius did. That's a friendship among the family of God. It's not just for the work of the ministry, but there's a genuine friendship for one another, a care for one another. Gaius, my host, and that of the whole church, Erastus, the chamberlain of the city. This man was a government official, a local. I I believe that uh, the idea of the chamberlain was the treasurer of the city. He was a person in a prominent position. And it's interesting, in the early church, you would find all different levels of social strata. You had public officials and you had slaves of, of the Romans. And they would all come together in the church. And just a beautiful friendship that defied social expectations. Unfortunately, sometimes in churches, that, that, that over the, in, in, the, in church history, sometimes the church has re-stratified, whatever, the, put that all back together and created socioeconomic divisions and treated people racially differently and things like that. But that was not how the church was established. There's not Jew or Greek, Male or female, slave or free, but we're all one in Christ, the scriptures say. And any time that the church has been prejudiced, whether it's socioeconomically or racially, it's been against the clear teachings of the word of God. There's a friendship and a unity among the believers. This is what we've been created for, to be anchored to the truth, to be bound together, but not just as fellow workers and not just as friends, but you'll notice last of all in this point, that they were united as family. He says, Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Quartus, and Quartus is what? A, a brother. Now, I believe Paul would have said that about all of them. But as, I just imagine, as the Holy Spirit's giving this, and he's calling these to rec- recognition, he's writing, and then Quartus. What can I say about Quartus? You know what? He's just a brother. There's a family unity to the local church. This is what we've been called to. This is, this is preparing us for our forever for the glory of God. So he speaks about the truth, and then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Then he speaks about the, the, the workers together, the family, the, the friendship and the faith, and he says in verse 24, read it with me out loud, verse 24, ready? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. I think that grace is definitely needed in our relationships with each other, don't you? We're prone to to disagreements. We're prone to frustrations. We're prone to quarrels and opinions. 
But in all of this family of faith that we have, we're called to experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, as I said with the first point, this is all because we are in Christ, because we've received Christ personally as our Savior. That's what brings this grace. That's what changes us. That's what renews us. And finally, the third point. So we've seen that we're forever for His glory because He's anchored us to the truth. He's bound us together. And now, finally, He strengthens us. He strengthens us with that grace. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Verse 25, this this beautiful end of the book, he says, Now, to him, this is a doxology, this is a worship, this is a hymn of praise to conclude all that's been written. Now, to him that is of power to establish you. This is the idea of a permanent strengthening. That you've been strengthened, you've been established. Listen, there is nothing in us that can establish our lives. There's nothing in your life that can establish and, 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 and give ultimate strength to your marriage, to your family, to your career even, and most importantly, to your eternity. There's nothing that can establish you except the power of God. To Him. It's all about Him. It's all for His glory. Now to Him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. In other words, that is what the gospel message should teach us. The gospel should teach us that all the power comes from Him. All the power, all the praise, and all the glory belongs to Him. He has saved us. We have not saved ourselves. He is the deliverer. We are powerless without Him. If the gospel teaches us anything, it is that we are nothing and He is everything. And for some reason, He's loved us abundantly. According to the, my gospel and according and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the re- revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but is now made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of of faith. You, You say there's a lot there. Well, let me paraphrase it very simply. From the very beginning of time, the salvation plan of God was a mystery. How would this happen? If you say, well, what do you mean it was a mystery? Do you remember a few minutes ago when we read Genesis 3.15? Oh, you can definitely see the gospel there. But could you see the gospel there without knowing what happens next in the Bible? No. It was just a foreshadow. It was just a picture. So we have this mystery in Genesis. But then, who started to reveal that a little bit more to us? The prophets. You start, to, you start in Genesis. One of the, somebody asked me this recently uh, that's newer to our church and the, about the Bible. I said, well, you realize that the, the message of the whole Bible is to bring us to Jesus, right? Everything you read. You start in Genesis as a mystery and then you get to the prophets and you start reading a little bit more of the Old Testament and you're, oh, it's, uh, there's something coming. There's something coming. There's someone coming. There's a Savior coming. And then you get to the birth of Jesus Christ. And there he is. But what's he going to do? And you read about his teachings and his life. And then it all comes to the cross. And Jesus dies on the cross. And now the mystery is just a mess because we didn't, this isn't how it's supposed to go. Now he's dead. But the mystery is blown, the cover is blown right off three days later when he rises from the dead triumphant. Oh, that's what it is. That was the plan. That's how God would save us. He says, now it's known, it's, being, it's been made known to all nations. It's the gospel message that gives us this strength. 
It's the gospel message that establishes us. It's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. And how does it come? How does this power come to us? It comes through the obedience. Look at this last statement now. The obedience of what? Is it obedience of the law? Is it obedience of the church? It's not obedience of the sacraments. It's not obedience of good works. There is one thing that you and I are asked to do. There's one message that we are asked to obey in order to receive eternal life. And that's the message of gospel. And we don't obey by doing. We obey by believing. We obey the message of the gospel. That in order to have eternal life, in order to have sins forgiven, Jesus has come. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. Simply believe on him. And once a person believes on Christ, the door is opened to everlasting life. And he says in verse 27 what the purpose of it all is. To God, only wise. The only wise God, to him, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Forever. You and I have been created to live forever for the glory of God. Let's not wait until we die to start living for his glory. Let's not wait for heaven. Let's live for his glory today. Anchored to the truth. Bound together. And strengthened by grace. That's the message for every believer. That live, the glory of God is not for tomorrow. It is for today. Today and forever. That is a purpose for existing. That is a purpose for my life. Without Jesus, what is the purpose of life? We live, we die. We collect some things and some people along the way, and then we die and pass away. Without Christ, what purpose is there behind any of it? But with Jesus, you can have a rock-solid certainty that you matter, that your life matters, that you were created forever. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? I look around the room and many, many people, there's been, I know you, your testimony, you would say, yes, Ethan, there's been a time in my life where I repented of my sin and I accepted Christ as my Savior. But maybe there's someone in here, young or old, maybe there's somebody watching, and you've, up until now, you've missed the purpose of it all. You've only lived for, for what you can see and you can understand. I want you to know that you matter to God. Your life matters to God. Your eternity matters so much that he sent Jesus to die and pay for your sins. There's only one thing left for you to do. And that's what we just read. Obey the gospel. Obey the message by saying yes. I repent of my way, I repent of my sin, and I accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, or you'd say, I'm not sure I've ever done that, would you make certain today? And I mean right now. We're going to all pray together. Would you please bow your heads and come to a time of prayer with me? No one moving around at all. Let's just have a quiet time. With heads bowed, with our eyes closed, reflecting on the Word of God, let me just ask one more time. Is there anyone in this room or anyone watching that would say, Ethan, I am not sure that I have ever given my life to Christ. I'm not sure I've ever been saved, but I'd like to make sure. If that's you, just acknowledge that right now in your heart. Say, yes, I need to make sure. You say, how do I do that? Well, you can, if that's the condition of your heart, if you believe in your heart, 
you can express a prayer something like this. Just, say, just pray something like this to God. Say, say, God, I do know that I am a sinner. I admit it. I admit I'm wrong. But I believe that you died for me, Jesus. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you can save me. Please save me. I'm not trusting myself or my religion, but I'm trusting in you, dear Jesus. If you prayed that right now, if you made certain today with no one looking, you just slip up a hand and put it down. I'm not going to call you out, but I'd like to pray for you. Anyone in here at all say, today, Ethan, today I made sure. Anybody on the, on the live stream, you just send a quick private message. Say, pray for me. I just made sure. I just put my faith in Christ. Christians, as we prepare for the closing hymn, would you just take a minute and ask yourself the question, what am I living for today? What am I living for today? Are you living for the lesser things of today? Are you maybe, maybe you've come wise, become wise about the evil things and simple about the good things? Would you just take a minute today to rededicate, reevaluate re your purpose and your passion for the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's spend just a minute together in prayer. Father, we thank you for this family of believers, Lord, that you've made us a part of. We thank you for this church. God, we thank you for the grace that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that if someone in here has not put their faith in you, that today would be the day that they would realize their need for a Savior, and that they would put their faith completely in you, that they wouldn't rest on their religion or on anything else, but that they would trust in you. God, for the rest of us, we pray that, Lord, you would draw us close to yourself. We pray, God, that you would help strengthen our faith, build us up into a family of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.